everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we're wrapping up the track sessions from Lionshare. We got Dave Buring talking about how to shape the next generation. I love the statistics and just the information that he brought into this episode about Gen Z. He talks about the concept of vocational discipleship, emphasizing the need to educate young individuals not only about their job roles, but also how to apply spiritual principles in those roles. He talks about helping young adults understand their callings in life and how to incorporate those callings into their work, highlighting the importance of building relationships, showing empathy, and valuing other people. This episode was super helpful. You're going to enjoy it just as much as I did. Let's jump in and hear one more time from Dave Buring of Lineshare. Enjoy the episode, everybody. So what I want to do is just talk to you a little bit about kind of a combination of things that, that we've been walking through and learning. So um, a lot of what we do with Lionshare is um, we walk alongside churches, but equally so, if not a little bit more. Like I'd say 40% walk alongside churches, 60% walking alongside societal leaders, and we shape them in God's ways through discipleship and then encourage them to do the same with other people in their same vocations. Okay, So like here in Nashville, you know, you have artists here. So somebody who's walked with us for a while is, um, if, you, if you've ever run into the name Mandisa. So she um, was an American Idol gal. Now she's a Grammy award-winning artist. So she, we've poured into her, and then she'll have a group of young ladies around her that she pours into. So kind of my granddaughters in the Lord. And so there's that kind of, you know, dynamic of continuing to pass things on generationally. And... One of the things that we've been learning has been how key, um, along with spiritual discipleship, the vocational discipling of young leaders can be. It causes, because they, like I grew up in an environment, and if you guys are like 45, 50 or older, this would be you. We grew up in an environment where there's kind of arguing or confusion about secular versus sacred. And we'd have these conversations. Well, is this a secular thing or a sacred thing? And, and we can't look at the Bible that way. I remember Jack Hayford saying, you know, years ago, Pastor Jack, you know, he said, we have to look at it as light and darkness because he said there's light and darkness in both the church and the world. And he said it's a better way to look at it, you know. And so with young leaders, we have found coming alongside of them, helping them be shaped in the ways of God in light of their vocation is huge. All right, so let me, let me just tell you a couple stories here to kind of to start this out. Um, so this is John. John is a cardiologist. Um, when I met John, he would have been 30, 38 years of age and um, still today a friend. I was just with him in Cleveland a little bit ago. He used to work at the Cleveland Clinic there. And John, probably the smartest man I've ever met. Like he's just got it there, right? But as we were talking some 28 to 30 years ago now, he said, Dave, I need some help. He said, I know that I'm stewarding what God's given me here when I open the chests of men and women up to deal with their hearts. But he said, unfortunately, I have body parts all around me of people. In other words, I'm not a good relator. You know? And he said, I know that's not very Jesus-like, so can you help me? And so we begin to talk about how to be a better relator to people, how to take time for people, how to lay aside things. And fully present. Well, today, if you were with John and he happened to work on your heart yesterday, this morning he would be in, he'd show you the charts, but then he'd pull up a chair and just say, how are you? 
And he, he's also looking for doors where he might be able to pray for you. And he's still a get-or-done, task-first guy, but he's learned to pause. Okay? That doesn't happen without a discipleship relationship. See? Um, so this gal, um, later from the story I'm going to tell you, became female vocalist of the year in country music. And she, when we first met her and we would have conversations, she was just so growing in her faith. And one day she called me and she, she said, will you pray for me and my family are going on a radio tour? I said, I'd be happy to do that, but I don't know what a radio tour is. And she said, well, with this new album, she was uh, newer at the time in the early 2000s. And, and um, she, she said, well, what it means is we, we go to these radio stations around the country. They interview me. They play my songs. I sign autographs. It's kind of, I said, exposure. She said, yes. So I pray for her. There's like 40, 50 radio station stops right, over like about six to eight weeks. So as I'm, you know, as I'm praying for her, I'm also listening, and I felt like the Lord put something in my heart. So I, so I said to her, hey, are you, are you first a follower of Jesus or a hopeful country music star? She said, well, I'm first a follower of Jesus. I said, well, that's what I thought, by just checking. Because I said, do you understand that followers of Jesus, no matter their celebrity in life, still look for ways to serve? That's a Jesus thing. She said, I, I understand that, tell me more. So as we went on, we talked about this, and I said, so for example, let's just say the tour bus pulls into San Antonio, Texas, and you're in the radio station there. I said, when, when the doors for the bus open, don't get sucked into the autograph seekers right away. Just kind of look at them kindly and whisper to them, hey, I'll be back. But you need to find, somebody invited you. So go find that station manager or, or owner, and don't assume they know who you are. And stick out your hand, introduce them, look them in the eye, and introduce your family. And then say something like this. Hey, while we're with you and your radio station today, would you tell us how my family, how we can serve you? She said, I'll do it. She came back and at a Cracker Barrel, you know, catching up later, just totally changed her life. She still today looks, how can I serve other people around me? All right? That happens from a discipleship relationship. At the time, she was probably about 29 years old. Okay? Let me give you one more story. So I'll tell you who this is. He was in here last night. He couldn't be here today. But Darren, who's our executive director for Lionshare, used to work in the White House. And I met him. When I met him, that's where he was working. And he said, hey, would you be willing to pour into me? I love G. I could tell. He was hungry, wanted to grow. He was probably, he's 50 now, so he had to be um, about 30. And so we started this relationship, and I gave him a book that I like to give young leaders that's called um, it's a long title, Intimate Friendship with God, subtitle, Through Understanding the Fear of the Lord. It's about the fear of the Lord. And I always feel like government leaders, it's something they need to walk in, is the fear of God in their lives. So he read it, and he came back to me and says, does this mean what I think it means? I said, well, what do you think it means? He says, I can't manipulate people anymore for votes. I said, yeah, that's part of it. When you walk in the fear of the Lord, you don't manipulate people for your purposes. Does it mean you can still explain why you think it's wise to vote for a person, but you can't manipulate so, so just, you know, the layers of this begin to happen in his life. And so Darren served in the D.C. area for a lot of years. And then in 2017, him and his wife, who was a Dateline reporter, they, they raised their own funds to come and join us on Lionshare team because they saw the fruit in the vocations of what was happening. He said, we want to help you do this. See? But all these young people, part of the connect where I, and, and again, a lot of during this time I had been a pastor, but I, I got out of that place and I just was relating to them on their vocational turf, where they were. And we began to take 
principles from God's word, his ways of how he does things, and help them apply them into their lives and into their vocations. Okay? And this is a, it's a, come on in. This is a um, kind of a key piece to be able to invest into their lives. Hey, you guys, I just ran into a Ryan and Nicole down downtown. Yeah. So Nicole goes to my church. So I visited with Ryan. I said, oh, I got to connect now with these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, when you think about, you know, people in their 20s and 30s too, part of sh helping to shape the next generation is coming alongside. Like in this story here, so there's a government worker and there's a, an artist and there's a doctor. It's, it's like, um, how do these things apply? So there's no longer this secular sacred thing. A lot of our next generation leaders already recognize, hey, whatever I'm doing, how, does, how do I express Jesus through this? So there's, that's not a fight we have to do anymore. It's more, how do I do this? Okay, and walking alongside. So let me just take you on a little bit of the journey here on vocations for a few minutes. So the difference made in the lives of these people is they had a further long follower of Jesus deliberately disciple them in the ways of God, both spiritually and vocationally. Okay, if you're a pastor here today, I want you to kind of see your world differently, your flock differently. Okay, like you got the vocation, you're loaded with the vocations in your flock. Stop trying to get them into your building and get them discipled to get them out there. Okay, so obviously we're kind of in a goofy season of life right now in, in America, but you got social strife, racial issues, political tension, the loss of God's truth as a reference point, picking up offenses. You notice that's kind of on high alert, uh, not hearing each other at a global pandemic, economic shifts, natural disasters, and as a lot of pastors found after the COVID thing in 2020 and early 2021, there was what was left was a spiritual thinness and faulty foundations in people's lives, okay? So we have a lot of pastors right now that are saying, how do we do discipleship, all right? So we are where we today as a people and nation because of the church's lack of engagement with obeying the great commission of Jesus to make disciples. Therefore, we have fewer disciples of Jesus walking the planet whose character reflects Jesus's, whose ways of doing things reference his ways, and whose life's mission includes his mission of making disciples. Like, isn't that what we're looking at? We're looking at how do I, how do I find somebody who's, who's a government leader? Like I walk with a government leader whose character is very much like Jesus. It's amazing to me. Hey, Dave, I want to, when I'm done serving in office, I want to make sure that my walk with the Lord is deeper than when I started. I want to make sure my marriage is healthier than when I came in. I want to make sure that those that God gives me to, you know, be with, that I can serve them well. I want unity on my, in my cabinet. But, but when you walk with, when you walk with people, it's like, I just want to encourage you as you think discipleship, if you're stuck in the rut of, they got to know the word. They got to know the word. Should they know the word? Of course. It's a priority. But they need to know how to apply the word. Like, can I just tell you, the devil knows the Bible really well. He's not transformed. Transformation, according to Jesus, is he who hears my words and does them is a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Same premise. He who hears my words and doesn't do them disobedience, is a foolish man who builds his house on the? My Hawaiian friends, if I said, hey guys, I'm moving here, got a nice piece of property. Dave, where is it? It's right on the water. Really? How close? No, it's like on the water. Like it's on the sand. They would look at me like, 
the Hawaiian word for crazy is lolo. Bra, you lolo. You know, it's like, what are you doing? They know you can't build a house on sand. All right? And Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, the whole, the whole thing here is not the knowledge of the word. It's the knowledge of the word. It's in your heart. And, and part of the fruit of someone's life who's growing spiritually is they should look more like Jesus. That when a person encounters them, they got a little taste of what Jesus is like. Right? But see, oftentimes we don't focus on character development. It's more if they could, we can just get more knowledge in their head. And so there's a great book that um, a friend of mine encouraged me to read that I really enjoyed. It's called The Other Half of Church. Have any of you read this book yet? The Other Half of Church. And it's a brain science book. But it's not science-y, but it's a guy, so catch this, this is a new term to me. He's a neurotheologian. Like this was new to me. But it's called the other half of church. And the bottom line is, he said, do you understand the the way that God has made our brains? Number one, he said, our brains are to be fueled by joy. That's how God made it. That your brain is fueled by joy. And so he said, so think of how many things in your life are hindering you from joy. Secondly, he said most character development doesn't happen on the left side of the brain. It happens on the right side through relationships. That's, and he said that's where character development happens. It's through relationships. He calls it, you know, from the Hebrew word hesed, which means attachment. Okay? And there's an attachment that happens with people. And so the other half of church, I commend this book to you. It was a discipleship pastor who co-writes it because he said, I was doing discipleship in a church. They were doing Bible studies. They were doing scripture memory. They were doing all the things that, you know, we all need to be doing, right? But he said, because that's all we were doing, it wasn't translating into people's characters actually being changed. See, and that's what you're after. You're after raising a people so when they're serving in society, they're actually a little bit of Jesus, Right? The way they look at things, the way they treat people. Like, that's kind of my number one thing when I'm discipling leaders and young leaders who serve in society. I'll always start with, how do you treat people? Jesus was the best relator on the, uh, in the universe, therefore we need to be the best relators on the planet. Period. Period. Like, there's no negotiation about that. We should be, there should be nobody that relates better to anybody, any person, any time than a follower of Jesus. Why? Because you know the value of that person you're talking to, the blood of Jesus was shed for them. And so therefore you're talking with that person who you might, who might not irritate the snot out of you, but you can pull back and recognize the blood of Jesus was shed for them. There's been nobody else in the history of the world that has been made in their image. They're unique, made in God's image. The blood of Jesus has been shed for, therefore they're worthy of being treated with value or with honor. That, that's a game changer. So instead of us ha- having these kind of degrees of valuableness in society, you recognize, hey, the blood of Jesus was shed for this person. And that causes me to be able to relate to them well because they're valuable. They're valuable. They're valuable to God. Like their lostness into an eternity is not a good thing. See? And so, like, one of the number one things for me when I'm discipling people is, look, you've got to become a really good relator to people. Yeah, but Dave, I'm a get-or-done task person. That's great. God made you that way. But remember Jesus, what was he? Was he a get-or-done task person or was he a relator? He was both. But here's the thing. Even the task of going the cross was for people. So there's times we have to pause and pay attention. Like I, I hear dear 
beloved followers of Jesus say, if it just wasn't for people, I'd get my job done. <laughs> Unless we have to go time out, time out. Remember, it's those people that we're doing this all for, right? So we've got to have a, a paradigm shift and recognize, okay, Jesus values people. God, give me your heart for people. I have to pray that from time to time. God, would you give me your perspective of this person? Because I don't have it. I've got my own perspective of them, and that's not good. So I need you to give me your perspective of how you see them. So when you're dealing with the vocations, it's like, like think about that. When I'm with a group of business people, I purposely tee them up by asking the question, hey, what's your bottom line? And with business people, you know what that's going to get me. Well, this year it's going to be $250 million, or it's going to be $200,000, or you know, whatever their number is. And I, and I go, that's not what I'm looking for. What is the bottom line of why you do what you do? Oh, so you have products and you have services. Do you understand that the principle of servanthood or customer service is actually rooted in the scriptures? But we've changed it to be treat everybody good so they come back and spend and we can make more money. I said, forget that stuff. Instead, customer service should be a principle of scripture that is basically when that person walks in your door, whether you can meet their need or it's the other guy down the street, you say, how can I serve you? And if you can't meet the need, you say, you know what, my friend, he's actually our competitor, but he's also my friend, he's got the answer you're looking for. Because here's what I've learned. If you serve people well, they come back and drink at your well. Okay? But the motive is servanthood. The motive is not, come on, everybody, treat everybody good so that we make more money. That, that, see how we can get a step off. And then we start missing it. So as we deal with people in the vocations, it's helping them see the ways of God so that... Because when you have a heart like that, God, as people come through my door, it's got a big sign up there, whatever it is you do, and you come through that door, we want our, the quality of service, the quality of product, the quality of relationships to just be out there so that we can glorify you so people see something different in us. See? That, that's how a godly person approaches their vocation. God, glorify yourself through me. Let people get a touch of you. Thank you for all the customers or clients, or patients, whatever it is we do, all right? And realize the blood of Jesus has been shed for them. So I'm going to be present with them right now, okay? So think about this with me. I'll talk a little bit about vocation, and we'll tie this back into young leaders. Jesus asked his disciples to reproduce his character, his ways, and his mission in others who would follow him. This allows disciples to carry their heart, attitudes, words, and actions of Jesus into every setting and situation of life they find themselves in. This includes families, relationships, and within their vocations. We often use words like work, job, profession, care, occupation, and vocation, thinking they all mean the same thing. However, the word calling is rooted in the Latin word vocatio, from which we get in English the word vocation. Jesus has intended that our vocation be a primary, not only, would be a primary way of expressing our calling. You see, oftentimes, oftentimes we go, well, this is my job. I just got to do this to get paid and pay the bills so I can go over here and do really do this. If that's in the situation, I want to encourage you to at least pause and say, God, am I in the right vocation? Do you think God wants you to spend 50 to 60 hours a week doing something that's a drag all the time? Don't you think he's maybe made you for more than that? And at times we have to step back because it's not just about paying the bills. So it's not just a job you go do, it's doing God's work everywhere you go. All right, And it's kind of referencing that. When you're a younger leader, 
Like when you're in your 20s and 30s, it's more about what God's building in you. You usually hit your stride, according to Bobby Clinton, you hit your stride in life, usually your late 50s, early 60s is when you hit your stride. Okay, and so God's building all these things. Like think about Moses, 80 years of preparation for 40 years of service. Two-thirds of his life was prep. Okay, Jesus, 10 elevenths, 30 years for three. Okay, so just know it's not usually until you're in your late 50s to your early 60s that you actually hit your stride in life. So some of you are going, man, I've just blown it. I didn't. No, man. It's like, it's like when you're in your late 50s and 60s, it's supposed to be part of the stride of life for you. It's not winding down, it's hitting stride. But see, that, but see, we can have bought into our American culture of, well, by this age I should be, and this age I should, and, I, and it's like, forget that stuff. Let's kind of get a little more biblical here and realize when you're in your 60s, you're loaded for bear. I mean, you have all these experiences and training and breadth of relationships and all these kinds of things that you need to bring to the table, not only for your peers, but for the next generation. Like, why in the world are we sitting on that stuff? Find young leaders you can give your life to and pour into them. See? Who was it that told me, one of you guys told me earlier, you, you know, after our last session, they said that they tell their people, older people that they work with, hey, you can't take this stuff to heaven with you, so leave it here by pouring it into others. It's a good word. All right? Like, can I just tell you something? It's really important that you and I be looking out who are the people that are in their 20s and 30s that God would have us invest in. So let me give you background on this. So you know the Old Testament. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So there's a fatherly thing in God's heart. And so the thing we have to look at is, so I, and this is just Dave's kind of translation of this, but let's call Abraham's those 60 and older. What do they bring to the table? Seasoned wisdom. Godly character. They bring that to the table. You got your 40s and 50s. Let's call them the Isaacs. What do Isaacs do? Isaacs run with understanding. And then you got the 20s and 30s and younger. They're the Jacobs. What do they bring? They bring fresh perspective and passion. We got to get off this thing of older leaders going, these young leaders don't. It's just pride, man. It's just pride. These young leaders, man, they don't know what they're doing. Come on, man. Let's get God's heart for them. Let's get God's... And, and I'm tired of young leaders saying to older, well, it's, you guys have had your chance. Step off this age. No. It's, it's the God of Abraham, Isaac. It's like a, a stew in a pot. You need the Abrahams. You need the Isaacs. You need the Jacob. You need all of them. That's the kingdom of God. All right? And so the Bible talks about from one, passing things on from one generation to the next in Psalms. We've got to be those people. It doesn't magically just land on people. It comes out of relationship. And again, I would submit our country is in the condition it is today because we have disobeyed the last commission of Jesus to make disciples. We've just said, let's just go to church. Let's just get it. Like, can I just say this? The goal is not getting people saved. The goal is getting them into the kingdom of God through salvation so they can become mature disciples so they make more. But for years in the body of Christ, it's been about just get people saved. And hey, it's done. The big word said, no, man, it's just begun. It's just begun. Help them look more like Jesus, have attitudes more like Jesus, fill the purposes of God for which they were born. See? And God will use our relationships with them. He'll also use the vocations. All right? Calling is about God sending us into society where he wants us to represent him. So as you're walking alongside a young leader, 
one of the things that's important is to help them, you know, discover calling. Like, how do you discover calling? For some of you, it was really easy because it just kind of landed on you or in that situation. You went, wow. For the others of you, you're still kind of, okay, where is, where is my calling? And one of the things that you can note is it's made up of the combination of these things. What, what, where has God put some passion points in you? That you're passionate about this. All right? Giftedness. Like, where has he gifted you? Like, that's a great place to start. Okay, what are my gifts? Another one is, the, what vocational field has, is God leaning you towards? What opportunities does he present to you? And then where's the steps of obedience to, to move into it? All right, last week I had the privilege of being with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So a guy that we've discipled over the years is a chaplain for the Steelers. And when I was up in Pittsburgh last week, he said, hey, the guys have asked, we don't get to be in church on Sundays. So one of the couples on the team said, hey, can you just throw together a service? So they brought in a worship leader there in Pittsburgh. And then he said, Dave, you're here. And I've done some chapels with them before. And so he said, could you just come? And, and so we poured out the, the whole thing of God's heart as a father on these guys. It was awesome. God showed up. Neat things happened. Well, those guys, you know, they feel called to do what they're doing. And they know it's a short-term short thing in their life, that they have this window to do this stuff, play ball. And then they know that window will shut. You know, the average NFL player only plays about two or three years. See? And, and that's where they feel called. And then you got my friend John that I was talking about. Who's the car he feels called to, like, where is God calling you? You know, where has he called you to? So when you're working with young leaders, it's really important to help them find where it is it that God's called them to, all right? The vocations just aren't just places where we work and get paid. They are meant to reflect and display various aspects of God's character through our lives as we do what we do. So again, this is where, uh, if you're interested in this, it's The Great Opportunity is the name of the book. And we talk about each of the um, kind of the general 12 broad vocations and how you see God's character. Like, do you understand? Like, if you're a builder, God gets you. He gave instructions about the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, how to build it. He gets you. All right? If you are um, a, a writer or someone that uses words a lot, Jesus is called the Word. All right? I mean, you can just go on, like, what about technology? Where is that in the Bible? Well, here's one of the things that I've noticed is, like, I'm always amazed how when I turn my phone off and I turn it back on if I, if I had it off during a flight, and, you know, and all of a sudden, bing, 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 you know, you got emails, you got texts, you got phone messages, all this. Like, I'm, I always go, like, how did that happen, right? Because I don't know how that works. But with technology, you know, God's speed... Like, we just think that, that our technology is so fast, but compare that to God's speed. Like, he knows right now, you know, where the smallest ladybug on the planet is right now. He knows where Mars is right now, okay? He knows the name of the person that just died right now and the one that was born right now. And he knows that all instantaneously. Like, God's speed is faster than any technology that we can ever have, all right? But it's reflective of how God's speed is like that. You can look at a Hawaiian sunset, like when we're in Kona a few weeks ago, it's, it's tourists pause, the locals often pause as the sun is going down. And when they look for it, it's something they call the green flash. And it actually doesn't flash, but when the sun goes down like this, and you get the orange and the blue kind of mixing, or the yellow and the blue, there's this little green like this that lights up before the sun goes in the ocean. So everybody's looking on a clear night, can you see the green flash? 
but people are taking in the beauty. My wife always says, honey, no, we're not going anywhere waiting about 10 minutes because all of a sudden it starts, the colors start bouncing off the clouds. That's like, that's like God's artistry. Like, do you ever pause to realize, like, the way I look at creation is kind of like how um, when my daughter was pregnant with her first child, she said, Dad, I want you to come and see the nursery. They, were, they named, already named him Nolan. We lived on Nolan Lane up here. And, uh, um, and my son-in-law's favorite picture was Nolan Ryan. So his name was going to be Nolan. So I walk in and there's baseball stuff. And, and there's this, like, um, you know, wet wipe thing that she said, Dad, feel it. So I spit one of those, it was warm. It was kind of like, where do I get one of these, right? I mean, it was like, wow, this is kind of, you know, and, uh, and the fussing over the, it was amazing. Malia did a beautiful job with it. And, I, and it dawned on me one day that, like, God made earth as our nursery that we might enjoy. And I got really convicted because I realized I don't take as much time as I need to. Like for me, this is my favorite time. We were over in Knoxville for a UT game a couple weeks ago. And, and on the way home, there was a couple of curves that we took where the sun was shining and the, and the leaves were just brilliant on the way back. And see, see the character of God. So my wife, Cheryl, is known as the Kona coffee artist. So she paints, she paints with Kona coffee. So a friend of hers in Washington say, hey, I was in this art class and they made me choose between wine, chocolate, and coffee. And I chose coffee. And, um, and Cheryl told me, she said, hey, I'm just going to try this. And when she did it, I was like, honey. And very, you know, very gifted in it. And so she's continued on it, and she's known as the Kona coffee artist. So she'll do things like this. Wow. So that's all done with coffee. So the dark spot, she's gone over like seven or eight times. The lighter spot, it's all on white watercolor paper, maybe once or twice. So she, yes, yeah. Like, look at the face. So if you go snorkeling, that's what, that's what they look like, right? Okay. Um, here's a Tennessee barn. Isn't that amazing? Look at this one here. So um, the, here's, this is Makuaikawa Church. This is the church that the missionaries planted in Kona, Hawaii. And then here's one you guys will like from Nashville. So this here's downtown Union Station. Look at the detail of that. Doesn't that look like a picture? Yeah. So this is my wife's gifts. And so when I look at this, like my stickmen have issues, you guys. And, and it's like, but my wife, I go like, honey, like how did you do that, you know? But it's, it's God's, God the artist expressing himself. And so that's where when you start looking at different vocations, it's not just a job, man. It's God expressing his character through you. So people can get a glimpse of what he's like. And that's part of what makes our, our vocations valuable. So let me just kind of move through here. Let me show you this. David Kinneman, who was quoted last night too, a failure to provide vocational discipleship could be a failure to help Christians, especially younger ones, keep their faith. So vocational discipleship is what I've been talking to you a little bit about on the side here. It's, it's taking the spiritual truths of Jesus and helping a young Christian apply those things within his vocation. Like, how do I be a good relator in my vocation? That's, that's a godly thing. With leaders, it's like, how do I know what God is initiating versus which this is my, my own idea? I told you last night or yesterday to, to one of the groups, what God initiates, he permeates. What I initiate, I have to sustain. I have to keep giving life to it. And sometimes I think God's just going, would you just let the thing die? Because how many times have we initiated something, asked God to bless it, 
And when it doesn't happen, then we're mad at God. And he's just saying, son, daughter, I never initiated. That wasn't from me. That was your idea. And I've had to learn over the years, when I try to drive my ideas, it just doesn't work. So it's waiting on God. for the, So Sean and I look for the breath of God on something. Is the breath of God on this? So is his life on it? If so, let's go with it. If not, okay, because nowhere in the Bible do I find somebody coming up with an idea and asking God to bless it. It doesn't work that way. God initiates it. We follow his lead. He makes it happen. So let me, let me show you something. There's a survey on Gen Z by Deloitte Digital. And so I just want to kind of show you a couple of things here on this. It was taken two, 2,000 Gen Zers, you know, um, who in 23 are between the ages of 11 and 26, and then 600 bosses. So this was t- dealing with a lot of people, just kind of the first four or five years out of college working. Gen Z is one of the main drivers of change in today's workplace. Defined as the generation of individuals born between 97 and 2012, Gen Z grew up with smartphones and social media along with the associated conveniences and pitfalls. They are often the trendsetters, the trend enders, the influenced, and the influential. Okay? And I just want to show you five things they found that I thought was interesting about the workplace. All right? First, Here is the first of five workplace challenges. Contrasting views on the importance of empathy. Gen Z workers highly value empathy on the part of their bosses and consider it a prerequisite to engagement at work, but bosses do not place as high of a value upon demonstrating empathy. Think about that. I, I would go a step further and say it's more relationship. Instead of I'm the boss, just do what I say. I'm paying you my money, just get to work. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work. Okay, it's a different generation, and we uh, who are older have to learn to bend to that to actually be able to. The way you spe- can express em- empathy is just by being a good relator to them. Hey, man, how you doing? Hey, you told me last week before you left that your mom was going in for surgery. How'd that work out? Doesn't mean you become their best buddy, but you guys, it's walking in humility. It's not asking them to come to you; it's you going to them. That kind of sounds like Jesus to me, right? Look at this second one. Oh, here's a quote from uh, Clara. Our employee survey asked a question like, do you feel respected? I thought to myself, no, I have never gotten that respect since management has more of a do your job and get it done mentality. So see, there's the value dynamic. Do I feel valued here? All right. How about this one? Divergent views on mental health and work. Gen Z workers feel they are not getting the mental health support they need in the workplace and believe their ideas on the mental health impacts of work differ from those of their bosses, and it's true. Like, like so Cheryl and I had, um, so there's a pastor and his wife. His wife was in my youth group in Hawaii years ago. They now pastor in D.C., and their three daughters I've kind of grown up with, right? I met them when they were really young. Now they're 28, 26, and 23. And they came, I, I was speaking in D.C. a year ago now, and I got done with my message. We went out to eat, we went to their house. All of us took a little rest, and I got up, and the house was quiet. And Sydney, the 23-year-old, was in the kitchen. I said, hey, Sid, where is everybody? So mom and dad are still crashed. We're downstairs. Why don't you come down with us? So we go down for four hours. And I could tell mom and dad knew we were having a talk. And they just started pouring out their hearts of where they were struggling. And as pastor's kids, when they saw mom and dad get beat up by congregants, and, and they're in tears. And I, I said, hey, would you guys like to tri- take a trip to Nashville and just come and be with Cheryl and I for a weekend, and we'll do what we call freedom prayer, where it's just kind of praying to help get you free from some, some of these stuck places of hurt. And So they came and, and hung with us, and it was an awesome weekend. T- 
Taylor, the 26-year-old, said something to me that that really made an impact on me. And, and she's a well-known social media kind of person, you know, in that world. And I said, she said to me, Dave, I do not know one peer, a few years this way, a few years this way, that doesn't wrestle with anxiety every day. For those of us that are older, we may go, come on, suck it up, buttercup. Let's go. You can't respond like that. Like, so after Taylor left, I started thinking about this and I realized, so Taylor, who's 26, so she had been born, what, in 97, if I'm doing my math right, she grew up with 9-11 as a child, school shootings becoming a norm. I mean, you just start listing things and you wonder why anxiety is huge. As fathers and mothers of the faith, to younger leaders. This is huge. This is huge. All right. I think I have another quote here. Yeah, Alexa, I want to leave work at work and not feel like I have to think about it. I don't want to feel overwhelmed. Like the overwhelming thing for many of us that grew up, there were so many things that happened in our lives that stretched our endurance, right? That we just kind of know how to come on. Let's just endure. We can see what's on the other side. But when you're 20 and in your 20s and 30s, or teenagers, you have, don't have that life experience yet to measure some of that with. And you have to realize this is part of our workforce. So as followers of Jesus, let's not kind of criticize and pick, let's say, okay, God, how do you want us to step into this? So I'm just kind of giving you some real practical dynamics and check your heart, right? Check your heart. Like, how are we reacting? How was our first reaction to this? Is it compassion or is it just, oh, come on, you got to be kidding. We're going to get down there. Hey, Jesus got down there. So we have to be willing to say, okay, where are we going to meet folks where they're at? All right, look at this third one. Differing views on the importance of work to personal identity. 61% of Gen, fee, Gen Z feel like their work is an important part of their identity. 86% of their bosses say that work is an important part of their identity. That's a, that's a pretty huge distinction. All right. Like, like you're wondering why, why do they jump around? Why do they just not stay in the same place for 40 years like I did? Because they want to try different things. They see that I could do that with my friends. So they leave what they're doing to go because they value the relationship. All right. Look at this fourth one. Insufficient training and job readiness for success. Both Gen Z workers and their bosses feel that Gen Zers are underprepared and undertrained for their jobs but struggle to address these deficiencies in an increasingly virtual work environments. So there's an agreement here that, hey, how do we help better prepare you? Imagine a disciple-making relationship. Let's say you got three 20s and 30s that you walk with in your same vocation, just you coming alongside of them. Hey, what, what's going on this week? Well, I don't know how to, hey, how can I help you? Like, what do you not understand about that? And then you being there patient, gracious, helping them catch it. And then once they catch it, guess what? Hey, you help help your peers. Pass this on to them. Help them know how to do it. See? That's where we can step in to do these kinds of things. Here's a fifth one. Contrasting reward and recognition structures. This was interesting to me. I, and I see this. Gen Zers want time off as a reward from bosses, whereas bosses favor traditional forms of reward and recognition. Like, it's no, you don't need to give me an extra $5,000. Just give me an extra five days off. Why? Because they, there's other things that, like they're, they're not job-centric in their thinking. 
It's part of what I do. It's not my whole identity. Do you guys relate to some of this? Yeah? Anybody? Yeah? It's true, isn't it? it it's like it, their job is not the whole of them like it was for those that are older. And we have to, we have to realize it's part of what they my, my son is 39. Ryan's a very hard worker. He's, he's waiting to kind of hear on a job situation for him on Monday. But he has told me, he said, Dad, I work to take care of my family. <clears throat> take care of my family. Excuse me, I want to be integral. I want to, you know, be a man of high character. But he said, I don't live for that all the time. There's other things in my life that I want to do and that are even more valuable to, to me than that. Well, that's a different mentality. And we, but we have to pause and go, okay, Jesus, some of that can be actually healthy, right? I'm just not living for the job. A job, I'm going to give my whole heart there, but there's other things I also want to do in life, all right? So I just, I just wanted to show this to you. Here's Edmund on that. I was doing overnight shifts and working long hours. I left work feeling drained. I found that work started taking away my focus to play rugby and make music. These were activities that were part of my identity. So, so in other words, there were things that they identified with more in their life than what they were doing to get paid. Well, when you start looking at, at things like this, you know, are we prepared to disciple the generation coming up behind us for Jesus and his kingdom? If so, you and I have to pause and recognize there's a different approach. But here's the, here's the key. And those of you that are, how many of you are in this room are like in the 20s and 30s? Just wave at me. Okay. It's like, so you can validate this or say, Dave, you're totally out to lunch. All right. But it's like the key thing in this is relationship. Are, they will, are you willing to have a relationship versus just being a boss? It's true? Untrue? True? It's like, because it's, it's, uh, that's what's wanted is a, is a connection. Can I just say that's more healthy anyway? Way more healthy. I think a lot of our 20s and 30s are bringing us back to some things that are really important that we've kind of missed in life. There's plenty of millionaires out there who are now retiring and they don't have relationships to share it with. They got to the top of the hill. I'm not kidding you. And people say, but I have no relationships to share because they blew everybody off. You know, I'm the best and I have the most money and I'm the most successful and and now, when they're at the time in life where they could enjoy that or need help from others, nobody's there. See? And, and Jesus was an incredible relator to people. We need to learn to, to relate well to people. It doesn't mean everybody's your best friend. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when you're with somebody, do you recognize, made in the image of God, the blood of Jesus shed for them right in front of me here. See? Some of us have to look at that look at our sons-in-law, or maybe a little like that, or daughters-in-law. Or we've got to look at other people around us that we work with, or our neighbors, more through that set of lenses. Okay, But I just want to encourage those of you in this room that are, say, 40 and older, can I encourage you, like, remember Abraham's 60 and above, Isaac's 40s and 50s, Jacob's. If, if, if I'm an Abraham at 64, I am not only going to look at the people who are Abrahams with me, I need to be spending time with Isaacs and Jacobs. If you're an Isaac, you want to say, who are the Abrahams in my life that can give me seasoned godly wisdom? And who are the Jacobs I can be investing in? If you're a Jacob, you want to say, who are those that are kind of like older brothers or sisters that are Isaacs, who are a step ahead I can really glean from, and who are Abrahams, fathers and mothers in the Lord that I can really glean wisdom? You want to look for that and make those a part of your life. 
There's a richness to it, but there's also a kingdom thing in it related to discipling the next generation. Thanks so much for listening to that episode today, everybody. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Tom Rayner at the main session at the city tour that just happened in Nashville. And he's talking about the state of the evangelical church. So if you haven't clicked the subscribe button to this channel, please go ahead and do that so that you know when I release that new episode. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener of this podcast and for supporting discipleship.org. Enjoy the rest of your day. 